Good morning. It is wonderful to see so many folks out with us this morning. It's lovely to have you. If you're at home, a very warm welcome to you. A couple of reminders. Next week we have a family service. Uh, we are uh, sending, obviously our kids go back tomorrow, but we're just going to celebrate them returning to school. We'd love to have as many families with us as possible. And the following week, the 29th, Sunday school, crash, everything else is going to restart. For the next couple of months, we're not going to have a prescribed preaching series. Uh, and I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited for the words that are going to be brought to us uh, by various men who will come and will preach to us in the coming weeks. And it was a bit daunting, to be honest. I quite like having a passage because it tells me where I have to go. So I sat down a couple of weeks ago and, and really searched, where, where do we start and where do I want to go this morning? And I really want to come to the simplest of messages from Galatians chapter 2 and we'll just read from verses 11 to 21 and just before we do that we come here this morning because the words that Linda said are completely true when we hear the message of the Bible it can change our lives if you know Jesus or if you don't know Jesus this morning come expectant that he can impact your life that he can change our lives so Galatians chapter 2 from verse 11 Paul opposes Peter who's also called Cephas in this passage but when Cephas came to Antioch I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned for before certain men came from James he was eating with the Gentiles but when they came he drew back and separated himself fearing the circumcision party and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Gentile, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified by Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. And through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Let's pray. Father, we thank you indeed that the word is alive and the word is active and that your spirit is, is here applying your word to our hearts. Father, would you give us an expectation that your word would shape us, that your word would transform us, that your word would convict us and encourage us in our Christian walk this morning. Amen. I'm a Hibs fan. I have been a Hibs fan for most of my life. Most of you know that. It's not been an easy journey. But for many, 
fairly obvious reasons if you know anything about football. I find it especially difficult going to high school and supporting Hibs. Because as if you go to school basically anywhere outside of Edinburgh or Aberdeen, everybody supports one of two teams. And there'd be very few that would be vocal about their support of other teams. You get the odd guy that would say, I support Stirling Albion. And then somebody would turn around and say, aye, but who do you really support? It was a strange situation because you were disliked for your football preference by either side. I never really spoke about Hibs. I never really spoke about going to games because I was slightly ashamed of my football team. And I even went as far once when I was aggressively confronted about who I supported that I said I supported Rangers. Something that I have greatly repented of since. (laughs) But I wonder if you have ever abandoned the conviction because of fear or peer pressure. Maybe it's something trivial like me and the football team that you support. Or maybe there's times that you can think of at school or at university, at home or with friends or family, that you've been asked something and you've just nipped around the truth to avoid confrontation. Due to the pressure of the circumcision party or the Judaizers, those that came from James, the brother of Jesus, Peter was abandoning a belief in order to keep them happy. And the root of the problem, and where I want to start here, is the sin of pride. And that's where we're going to start from verses 11 to 15. Because you see, for Jewish people, who you ate with had always been a big deal. Whilst they lived under the law, they could never eat with Gentiles. It was completely forbidden. They would even have avoided eating with other Jewish people whose lifestyles could be questionable. And that is, of course, one of the reasons that Jesus uh, created so much controversy by eating with the tax collectors and sinners. But Paul and Peter and a number of all of the other disciples had agreed that the Gentiles did not need to live as Jews in order to be saved. They didn't need to first be circumcised or follow the law of Moses because now, now Jesus has been all are saved by grace. Through faith in the Lord Jesus. Paul since his conversion. As a Jewish man he sat and he ate. With non-Jewish Christians. All the time. And he would have been delighted to see Peter. Do the same thing. But then this group of men. Come along. And they just didn't approve. They didn't approve of eating. With Christian Gentiles. You see this party. This group of people. Though they believed in Jesus. They still wanted to hold on to their things. So they still held on to their beliefs about circumcision, about food, about feasts and special days. So they were going around and they were asking the Jewish Christians, eat separately. Follow your kosher laws. Don't, don't be distracted from that. And Peter, as he heard this, he left the table with the Gentiles in order to look good to this group of people. And as a result of Peter's example, it would make the Gentile Christians feel like second-class citizens. And that was part of the problem. But ultimately, the root of the problem of the circumcision party was the problem of pride. Because they believed that they knew best. And they wanted to maintain control. They just didn't quite find it right that the Gentiles could have access to God through the Lord Jesus without first becoming a little bit like them. And of course, the result of that pride was a group of God's people feeling like second-class citizens. 
And we know that Peter didn't stand up to them because in verse 12 we're told he feared them. What is the sin of pride that marks this group of people here? Well, it's an attitude that expresses an unhealthy and an exaggerated view of ourselves. It has an extremely high view of our own abilities, of our own accomplishments, of our position, of our possessions. It's an attitude that says it's all about me. And it's about what I want and everyone else and everything else comes after me. Pride has been called the cancer of the soul. The beginning of all sin. And it's the direct opposite of the humility that marked Jesus. And a trait that is so highly praised by him. But of course to be clear, pride is not always expressed as a negative quality. It can carry positive connotations of self-worth, of self-respect, of self-confidence. And these are good traits for us to have. But pride is sinful when it becomes excessively self-focused and self-elevating. And this is the kind of pride that we read of most frequently in scripture. Because pride ultimately replaces in our lives God with us. Because instead of God being exalted and God being the center, instead we exalt ourselves. It becomes all about me Instead of asking what would Jesus do, we ask what will I do? Instead of saying let's pray about it, we say I know best. And instead of having hearts that are fully thankful for the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus, it is replaced with our own pride. Spurgeon has something great to say on the sin of pride that will pop up on the screen. He said that pride is so natural to the fallen man. That it springs up in his heart like weeds in a well-watered garden. Its every touch is evil. You may hunt down this fox and think you've destroyed it. And lo, your very exultation is pride. None have more pride than those who dream that they have none. Pride is a sin with a thousand lives. And it seems impossible to kill it. Resonating words. Augustine, one of the church fathers, believed that, 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 uh, that, sin was the root, uh, that pride was the root of all sin. That eventually if we traced our sin far enough back, that's where we would get to, to pride. And we don't need to read very far to see examples of pride. Satan himself, a product of pride. A pride that believed he was more important than the position he had been given. That he deserved more. The original sin is one of pride if we look to Adam and Eve. Because they believed that they could be like God. Surely knowing things that God knows was more important than the command God gave us not to do something and to eat from the tree of knowledge. King David, his pride led him to adultery and to murder. Hezekiah became proud when God healed him. His pride brought God's wrath not just on him, but the people of all Judea and Jerusalem. And we don't have to read very far into the Pharisees to see their pride. Why is pride so wrong? Because it robs God of the praise he deserves. And it puts us in his place. Because proud people don't believe that they need to ask God for forgiveness. 
because they can't admit or recognize their sinful condition. And of course, as a result, that pride also affects our attitude towards other people. It causes us to look down on others or to look at others as less worthy or less able than ourselves. Because of course the Gentiles can't be worthy. Or they can be worthy-ish, but not as worthy as us. They have to become like us first. They have to do our things first. You see, we know it's all about Jesus, the circumcision party would say. But, but yet we want them still to do our stuff. We want it still to be on our terms. So we, we don't want to eat with them. We don't want to be near them. We don't want anything to do with them. And that pride is the root of so much of the problems in our world. It's all about me. I can do what I want, when I want. And there will be no consequences. A selfishness and an arrogance marks our world. But they shouldn't hallmark us as the people of Jesus. Because you see, the earliest Christians lived in a time not too dissimilar to us. One where the morality around them was vastly different to God's standards. Where humility and gentleness were strange concepts to anybody who wanted to climb the social ladder. But Jesus' followers were then and are today different. And Paul now comes to this point, writing to the church in Galatia, a reminder that they should put aside their preferences and stop being pulled astray by the circumcision party and focus on Jesus. And this reminder in verses kind of 16 onwards just become more incredible every time we read it. The gospel for all. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Martin Luther one of the reformers of the the 16th century, faced the very real issues of this stuff. Not from the circumcision party, but from the church. Because the church would sell bits of paper called indulgences. And what the church would do is say, if you have enough money to pay us, we can guarantee your slot in heaven. We can guarantee you that if you've got enough money to give us, you can just kind of bypass the faith bit and on you go. And in 1517, Martin Luther challenged this. Because as he read scripture, he realized that this just doesn't add up. How can a church be profiting by salvation, by faith alone? Because they added their own steps. They added their own instructions. And in the process, the the Catholic church became very, very wealthy. But what a pride and what an arrogance to think that that man has the right to grant access to God. What a small view of the gospel that is. And Luther himself said this doctrine, justification, is the head and the cornerstone. 
It alone nourishes, builds, preserves and defends the church of God. And without it, the church of God cannot exist for one hour. And he also said, every week I preach justification by faith to my people because every week they forget it. Because indeed, every day we forget our need for Jesus. That is why two of the founding principles, two of the five solas of Protestantism, sola gratia and sola fide, saved by grace alone through faith alone, are the cornerstones of our faith. Because that is the proclamation and that is the conviction that there is one Jesus, that there is one Lord, that there is one way to God. And it is through the grace of God alone, through faith alone. And here's the crux of the message that we read here. You are saved, not by yourself, but you are saved from yourself done nothing by us but by the Lord Jesus himself because of course as we know it is Jesus who took the punishment that we deserve it is him who died in our place so that we do not need to face the consequences of our sin those consequences are death and eternal separation from God because you see, as much as, as much as these guys wanted to live by the law, the holiness and the perfection of God that was demanded perfect obedience. An obedience that we could not achieve. Verse 16, because by good works of the law, no one will be justified. Because no one is good enough for God, not me, not you, not anyone in 2,000 years of church history, not the apostles, not the prophets. But God sent his one and only son to die. You see, it was the greatest act of the complete opposite of pride. It was complete and utter humility. Jesus hanging on that cross is the ultimate act of humility. We could spend a sermon series contrasting the pride of us and the humility of Jesus. But all of us are in desperate, desperate need of the grace of God. Every single day. But how easily does that arrogance and that pride creep into our lives? How quickly can I believe that this is my church, that I belong here, that I have a right to be here because somehow I've done something that gives me a right to call the church my home how quickly can we become arrogant and proud how quickly can we believe that God's got his work cut out with real sinners I'm not that much work for him I don't do that much wrong a wee bit of forgiveness here and there but, but there's worse people than me that God's work is cut out with How quickly can true repentance just become some kind of token gesture that we hope appeases God and keeps him happy? But this isn't the way of the gospel. Because the way of the gospel says, I belong here because of Jesus. I have been welcomed in, not because I deserve it, not because he needed to, but because God in all his infinite grace delivered me. 
And you see, as we gather around the communion table soon, as we do weekly, we do so because Jesus paid the price. Because Jesus delivered me and Jesus settled the wrath of the Father. And we know, verse 16, that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Because you see, Paul knew it. Peter knew it. The church that he was writing to knew it. And we know it. But we forget it so easily. We're not Christians because of our obedience. But we're Christians because Jesus saved us. And what that means is that none of us have a right to pride. What it means is that not one of us has a right to look down on anyone else. That not one of us has a right to look at anybody else and say, Phew, thank goodness that's not me. Or to go, at least I'm not as sinful as them. But instead we see everybody irrespective of ethnicity and religion, political affiliation, career or no career path, as image bearers of the Lord God Almighty. Because there is no second class citizens in the kingdom of God. And when we get this stuff right, it's magnificent. Because Christianity are the biggest liberators of women throughout history. Because Jesus fought for women. Jesus valued women in a society that didn't. And we have the belief that every man and woman is inherently equal. And at the time was something so utterly revolutionary. Or if we take something like William Wilberforce at the forefront of the abolition of slavery. Because he was adamant that slavery was not compatible with following Jesus. And in 1833 the Slavery Abolition Act was passed. Because you see, Jesus is for everyone. The gospel is for everyone. Of course, that doesn't mean that everybody is saved. But what I'm trying to say is that nobody is more deserving of the Lord Jesus than anyone else. And just that last little funny question in verse 17. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. Because he conquered that. Christ was not defeated by sin because he conquered that. And we come finally to the gospel for me. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. So let's just take all of that and let's apply it through this list. Very simply, a list of the eyes that we find in this passage how do we guard ourselves against pride how do we remind ourselves daily of our need for Jesus well I think verses 19 and 20 set out a pretty good illustration for us I died to the law I live for God I have been crucified with Christ and because of that It is no longer I who live. And I live by faith in the Son of God. I love the words of Micah in chapter 7 verse 19. He says, he will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. 
That's what it means to die to ourselves and to live for God. That our sins have been taken upon the shoulders of the Lord Jesus and they have been cast into the depths. So deep that they will never return. How deep are the depths? They're deep. They're so deep it's never coming back. They're gone. We're free. And the beautiful reminder of all of this is the law is not our master. It's not how good we obey, but it is our relationship with God that saves us. Paul is telling us that when we exercise faith in the Lord Jesus, that we are placed in the most incredible union with God, with the Lord Jesus through his death and resurrection. And that means that we are free. Donald McLeod said, Humanity is enslaved, and Christ has come to set it free. We meet this morning as a free people, and that is why the gathering together of believers is marked with joy, because we are free to live in the ways of Jesus. We are free this morning from all condemnation and all wrath, because we are God's people. And what that means is I don't have to live a life that puts me at the centre. It means that we don't have to live lives that are proud. And it means that we can say, I want to live in the freedom of the gospel. Because we have freedom to turn our back on sin and choose Jesus. We have freedom to reject evil and choose Jesus. We have freedom to break free from addiction through the spirit and choose Jesus. We have freedom to break cycles of pride and choose Jesus. We have freedom to stand firm, whatever stands in front of us, and choose Jesus. We have the freedom to say no to the things of this world and choose Jesus. And we have the freedom to reject the things that the world thinks of us and to choose what Jesus thinks about us. That's the freedom of following Jesus. That is the freedom that says, I want to reject pride. I want to reject the world that I have been set free from. And I want to follow Jesus. Because it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. Friends, there is not an hour of our lives go by that we do not need Jesus. Without doubt, there are times in my life when I think I can. There are definitely times in my life when I think I can do better without Jesus and I can go solo. And it always ends the same way. It always ends up with me back before the Lord, repenting. I say, God, I need you. Verse 21 to finish. says, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Friends, if we were good enough, and if we deserved God, Christ wouldn't have paid the ultimate price. But here's the beauty of the gospel. Your disobedience and your sin, our shortcomings, doubts, and pride, none of it diminishes the grace of God. Because that's why he came. If righteousness was down to us, none would be righteous. But yet we gather as free people. 
free from all condemnation and death because of Jesus because he set us free brothers and sisters my prayer is that we would rely more and more on Jesus less and less on ourselves it is a battle it is a daily battle but the more we love Jesus the more we fall in love with him and his living and his active word that can change our lives we will know more and more of that freedom that comes with being a child of God let's pray God you are so good to us we thank you Lord that the message of the Lord Jesus is one that has transcended generations that it is one that has transcended time that the most wonderful and the most awesome event of human history of all history is one that applies as much to us today as it did in the day that it took place we thank you Lord that we no longer have to live to ourselves that we no longer have to strive and struggle on our own but we walk the walk of this life with the Lord Jesus Father we are so sorry we are so sorry for the times in which we put ourselves first we are so sorry for the times in which we think we can go solo and we can do it ourselves but Father as individuals and as a gathered community as your church Lord would we encourage and uplift one another that we might follow you more and more day by day together we pray all these things in your son's precious and mighty name. Amen.